everyone, Justin Daniels here, and welcome to the Sonic Truth. Today's episode is sponsored by Audioscape Engineering, a company that believes in creating zero compromise, boutique quality analog hardware for a reasonable cost. For more information, visit audio-scape.com. Our guest today, Eddie Montilla, is a world-class keyboardist a songwriter signed with Universal Music Publishing Group, and a producer who has worked with DJ Khaled, Gym Class Heroes, Linkin Park, and Lady Gaga, to name a few. We will see Eddie does not have one specific genre. His ability to work in any genre from classical, hip-hop, Latin, to scoring movies and films is what makes Eddie truly unique and one of a kind. In part one of this podcast, we will learn about Eddie's father, Fernando J. Montilla, who is a pioneer of the stereo imaging at Bell Labs. He was also an audio engineer with NBC Studios in the 30s and an original broadcaster of Spanish music in the 1940s. Eddie's father was also the founder of Montilla Label Group from Spain. Eddie is going to continue to share some advice with us on how to make it successfully in the music business. In part two of the podcast, not only does it feature Eddie composing a track from scratch, but it also features stories from his time conducting the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road Studios with Simon Rhodes as an engineer. And I know a lot of you have been asking about the 260VU. The 260VU will be spread out during our standard sales night on Wednesday and Saturdays at 8 p.m. These are not limited units. They will be available in our standard inventory. Also, if you're interested in reserving a slot, in the EQPA list. And remember, this is only the reserve list we have for EQPAs. All other equipment will be available on our standard sales nights on Wednesdays and Saturdays. If you're interested in securing your slot today on the EQPA reserve list, just email audioscapeinfo at gmail.com with your name, how many units you want, one or two, and at what voltage you need them, 120 or at 240 volts. If you have any further questions, reach out to us via email or always contact us on Instagram. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Thank you. What brought you from Miami to Central Florida? Where were you at last night? I was at the first Latin music hub at the Wave Hotel in Lake Nona. Very nice. It's a really cool little idea. It's a friend of mine who... He brought in, like, you know, attorneys and media, um, attorneys, uh, you know, public relation people, producers, engineers, and it was a full day of, you know, uh, sharing. A lot for of networking. The, the, a lot of networking, but there was younger kids that are artists and engineers and so forth, and they wanted to hear something from pros, and I don't know why they brought me. Yeah, I have no idea. Should have brought me in, but they did. They loved. <laughs> Were it. you a keynote speak? Yeah, speaker. I was like, at the, I was towards the end, but they had. They was really good. They had two screens, and uh, a lot of these guys had powerpoints, and uh, they even brought a financial. They found they brought a girl who was a financial advisor for I think Northwestern, mm -hmm. and uh, you know it was interesting because it, it it brought in a lot of uh, different aspects of the music business people yeah. together it was really, really good and, and i had a good time i uh talked about 
Well, I, I kind of like got questions from from uh, the audience. You know, they wanted to know how I started and and all that. Yeah, there was one particular question somebody asked you outside the conference during the lunch break. Yeah, share that share that story if you could. Oh, in regard to what not to do. Yeah, yeah, that was a, it was actually a good question. I was having a little plate. I sneaked off to the side, you know, they brought the, they have a hallway there outside of the conference room and they had just set it up and this hotel is swanky and I saw the food and I said, the food looked pretty swanky. Pretty swanky, good stuff. Yeah, so huh? I took a dish of swankiness. I like swankiness. I took, I took all the, I took a little bit of salad and this and that and I sat at a little side table there. It wasn't even a table. I think it was part of the lobby actually. So one of the kids was not in the conference and he should have been in there <laughs> he wasn't in the conference he well he he was he, he was, was on the outside he was like hanging out yeah and understood, he must have yeah. smelt the food he he kind of left the conference and he was like it's outside so i was having a little moment of you know you know it's like when you eat you kind of like want to be left alone and when you poop yes <laughs> that's those the alone private, time you want as well those are, <laughs> those, are those are moments of like solitude you well, you know, we don't all poop together, but when we eat together, we kind of talk, but we all, you know, when you want to eat, you let the other people talk. Anyhow, the kid came up to me and says, hey, man, in Spanish, he says, I want to ask you a question because people people always come up to you, I'm sure, and they ask you, you know, how to make it, how, what to do to make it in the music business, things to do, you know, certain um you know, is there like kind of rules to, not rules, but, you know, give me some advice on what to do to make, people ask you for advice on how to make it. I want to ask you things not to do to try to make it. Like, that's the list I want to know. Yeah, that's. I said, that's a great question. That is a great question. I said, but ask me later when I go on, because I want everyone to hear the answer. <laughs> and so... Five hours later, I'm on stage and and I and he raised his hand and I, and I knew it was him. So I said, "Go ahead, ask the question." I said, well, I'm sure a lot of people ask you what things to do to make it in this business, but I want to I want to ask you what are the things not to do to make it in this business. And I said, "Never come up to me when I'm having lunch and ask me questions." <laughs> Which is kind of, I'm not a big star like kind that. Kind of cliche, but, yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> if you go up to like Lady Gaga or so, I don't know. Anybody, yeah, anybody on that When they're level. having their lunch or their dinner. And you poke them and you're like, I got a question for you. That's a big no-no. Actually, you know, at this point I haven't, I, I haven't been, I haven't been uh, abused like that. But I, I, I like people coming up to me. I enjoy it. Like yesterday was fun. I had a lot of people, you know come up and, you know, they've been following what I've been doing and so and they ask me questions and I kind of enjoy, it's not the attention, I enjoy the impact that I can cause on their lives if I can give them some sort of, a, you know, some sort of... Yeah, some sort of guidance. Yeah, guidance. You know, because or, the road to success, you know, in any journey that you take, uh, but specifically, you know, the creative aspect of being successful is not an easy journey the road, to take. There's no, there is no road, you know. It's, this is such a crazy business. There isn't a formula. Right. I mean, if there was a formula, we'd all be doing it, but it's 
everybody gets their journey and it's just how you how you approach what you, what you're given the path that's brought your way and you sometimes you got three or four roads and mm -hmm. you just grab that one that you think sometimes you make a mistake sometimes you don't actually it's never a mistake it's always good to take a road that's a little bit more difficult than another one because then when you go back on the path again you'll you'll be able to see okay I know what this road is yeah it's kind of a good thing I actually Fail, of, failure is a good thing, and it's many times failure means okay. Let me regroup and 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 try to yeah, get back on path. Will it will find its way to success? Mm -hmm. You know, failure should sharpen your tools. It should you know allow you to find another way. It allows you to become more creative in a sense of how you can take that next level up in your yes. career or personally. Um, but getting to know a little bit more about you, we know what happened yesterday. But uh, share a little bit about where you grew up, maybe a little bit of your background, your upbringing. Well, I was born in 1397 before Columbus came really? to America, and I was on that ship. Oh, imagine you got Actually, great it stories. Been cool. That would have been really cool. I wonder what kind of what kind of compressors they use on those boats. Oh. What kind of studio, portable studios they would have then. Yeah, somebody had to have something. Actually, you know, let's. I'm not going to try to detour, but... They were doing music then. Yeah. I wonder how they, there was no form of recording, but. How do you contain that idea? Or how do you canyons, do. Canyons. When you sing over a canyon, you get some delays. That uh, was the first form of delay for, for uh, or echo, for, uh, that was the first uh, signal processing for, uh, for humans. Uh, true. Yeah. Caves. Caves. A lot of cool stuff. Yeah. They discovered that sound there. And I think they needed to know how to make that happen when technology was available because that sound was very cool. You could sing in a cave back hundreds, Gosh, hundreds of years caveman ago. Caveman days. Caveman days, and they were like, yo, you want to sing? You need to come, come to the in opera the cave. house. Cave come number three at sunset. <laughs> opera house. <laughs> So actually, it does have some validity to be born back then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That would have been an awesome thing. <laughs> um, I was born in New York. My parents were from Puerto Rico, and my grandparents were all from Spain. That's the background of... Your life. parents were first generation? Yes. Yeah, they were... My dad had five brothers, four. There were, there were five total, and my mom... I think my mom had... Uh, she had two brothers and herself. And my dad was, uh, he graduated from Bedoyne College in Maine mm -hmm. in audio in the 30s. And he was uh, one of the engineers with Bell Labs when they developed stereo imaging. Really? When it was mono. Mono was one speaker. And if you can remember all those, the footage of the 1930s when they would sit around with the family and listen to radio broadcast that was one one speaker mono like most speakers airplanes to whatever communication that used a speaker was always one speaker yeah but these people and i'm i'm surprised that this this wasn't figured out before we have two ears so why not two speakers one for the left one for the right so he was with the he was a young man he wasn't like one of the head developers, but he was there when they developed finally stereo imaging through 
um, radio waves, though. Mm-hmm. That's, That's what the yeah. transmission of uh, of audio was through radio waves. And um, my dad started there, and then he started working at NBC in New York as an engineer, radio engineer, in the 30s, 40s. He was born in 1915, so it would have been late 30s because he would have been 15 in 1930, so he was in his early 20s. So, yeah, the end of the 30s, 40s is where his career started as a young man. And then World War II came through. So he was... He served He served as... He, he, was, he was a lieutenant commander in the Navy, and his job assignment was to set up... They used chicken wire you know, like for fences, mm-hmm. and they would set them up. He was in uh, Brazil, I think, and they were setting up communication, not towers back then, but they were, you know, wire cages, and that's how they would use to communicate. That's what they would use as uh, um, as, um, you know, the antennas right, yeah. to uh, communicate with ships, and they were on ships, and they were also using... Uh, Airplanes to scour the ocean to, for uh, German U-boats, German submarines that were we had the U-boats or so we. You, so he was using chicken wire, not as chicken transmission. Wire, you, you know, like you know, you know what I'm. It's, 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 it's like a fence, but it's thinner. Yes, yes. I guess that's chicken wire, right? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, something chicken. of that sort. I I wouldn't know if it would, was actual chicken wire. I think it would have more the the uh, actual. Um, Material had to be, be conducive to receive signals yeah. from radio waves. That's crazy. They received yeah. radio and they had some kind of a transmitter there and they were able to put on these now, did, little headphones and listen to. And what was your father's name? Fernando Montilla. Fernando Jose Montilla. Fernando. Did he end? Now he ended up, did he pursue, was he a mastering engineer at one point in time or was he strictly into radio engineering? He was a. Ra- I think he went graduated from Bodoin as a radio engineer, and that you know that brought him into audio engineering. It's I guess in, back, back in that day, you know. Yeah. And you're, t- you're all a mastering engineer. I don't know about the master- mastering aspect of it. Wasn't. Yeah, I think they were. You know, they they. I think that the, an engineer back then would kind of like do all, all of it. All of the engineering. And they never separate. Later on, came became the specialty of mastering. Right, yeah. You know, an Special engineer, team, can, an engineer, mixing engineer, yeah, mixing engineer, engineer, recording engineer, and you know, now today you have all of them all combined together. Some guys who know there's so many yeah. available plugins and 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 software. To, Does he have any of the vintage gear still around? Oh man, well, uh, he I imagine left, growing up there was a oh, lot. No, I grew up a lot of, around a lot of great stuff, but he he. Uh, when he came back from 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 the war serving, he went back to NBC, and then uh, he started to fly to Spain, to Madrid, and he started recording with these Ampex two-track mm-hmm. recorders. They were quarter-inch, and... Uh, you know, these big bulky boxes, and he would fly to Spain with them, and he would run microphone cabling. So he would hi- he would go to a theater in, in Madrid, 
and he would hire the orchestra and he had a conductor and then he would run, you know, some overheads and maybe, because the orchestra was, what, you know, 40 piece. Mm-hmm. There wasn't 40 mics, right, but yeah. he would actually set up maybe six mics, I would want to think, and he would run all that cabling down to the to the basement and down there he would monitor everything with headphones. And um, as far as a mixer, I would assume that they had some sort of, uh, you know, some sort some of... Some type of summing mixer to bring everything yeah, out back because, you know, the back then they back then they had... Back then, they, you know, you remember like, you know, Flash Gordon. Yeah. Do you remember those big aluminum... Cases they they they, they, were, they would make these aluminum desks and you would put things into them. They're like buckets you could pop in and out. Yeah, but it was all standard. It was like a it was like a, a metal. I have pictures actually of my dad on some of those with those big knobs and. So I think you know you you'd put your own thing together. Yeah. There wasn't like companies that were making modular. Yeah, it was modular. It was like you put your own you put your own thing together. And he and he had, I I remember seeing a lot of Paltech. I'm trying to think. You had a lot of the old Yuri stuff. I I think Paltech came out in the fifties. Early 50s. My dad was really in the 40s. So he probably RCA stuff. Yeah, RCA for sure. RCA stuff, 100%. The big RCA mics. Ampex was out then too. Mm -hmm. Ampex is one of the leaders. Came out in the early 40s, mid 40s. I may be incorrect, so don't. Yeah, don't quote us on that. We're not historians here by any means. Yes. Booty call? No, no. Well, it is a booty if it's my daughter, though. Oh, yeah, wrong type of call. wrong type of booty. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. So, so yes. he uh, <laughs> he assembled. He would record these orchestras, and then he would cut lathe right there and then. Very interesting. The audio would come through whatever he was his summing mixer, and then they would have a machine that would cut the metal of the record. You know, it right would cut there. the lathe. Yeah, and that's what. He would bring it back. He would bring the lathe back to the states under his arm, Bang. and then in the states, they would put that on a. It's like a platter, I believe. Yeah, and and they would put the a, a, a side and B side, and then they would put the uh, the hot. Is it the wax? I believe it's not wax. It was, hot, it, it was a hot. It was a. It was. I worked at a plant later on in his life when he had a record plant in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I would work in the summertime with these presses but uh you know it would that back then they had these little black pellets that would be melted into yeah that's where the vinyl came from so these black pellets we bought looked like rice bags but they were huge they had small little black pellets Hmm. they were already chopped and then we'd throw them into they were they were thrown into a a melting yeah melting element and then that would come into these to these uh, machines that would drop the right amount of black vinyl and it would come right onto the, it would land on top of the, for example, I'd have a, I'd have to put by, with my hand the uh, A label and the B label. It was by hand. You had to put it on the little spindle in the middle, mm-hmm. drop it there, and then the black 
thing would drop on top of that, just the exact amount, and I'd close the the thing, we'd push it in, and then it would take five gallons of water to cool down the vinyl. It was recyclable water. And then that thing, when you'd open it back up, you'd see all the grooves on the record and the edges. You'd have to pick that record and put it on another thing that would cut the edges. It was like a knife that would cut that edge. Oh, that's cool. And then that excess would fall on the ground, and then we would stick that record into a white sleeve and then put it there. And somebody else would come around and pick up those records that were in the sleeve and then put them into the covers. Huh. Yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. And that, and, and that was very hot. That I, I remember that. Yeah, how many times did you get burned from doing that? You don't... You don't because you touch it once and you're like, okay, okay, it's like lava, but not it wouldn't it wouldn't actually burn you, but yeah, it, as soon as it hits you, it would. It's like if you touched it at any point, but it it would it would be elastic for a minute. It didn't last long. It didn't. It wouldn't last long. You had to drop the thing in and put her in, <laughs> and let the pressure of the machine it was hydraulic. Stick it in, yeah. So it would really get the grooves of the from the lathe. Those lathes were sitting there, and my father had also in that plant the machines that would, the chemicals that would, that would, that would, would, um, they would um, keep the lathes in, you know, they were like in, in some kind of an acid or something, and hmm. they would sit there, and then they would pull them out. Because, you know, the lathe is what, if the lathe wasn't, you know, in, in, in great condition, then your records would not come out in great condition. Yeah. You know, the, the record had, a, the grooves had to be really well, you know, imprinted or else when you put a needle on it, you could hear, you would, you know, they wouldn't have the sound quality. Yeah. You know how creative you had to be back then in order to get, some of my oh yeah, you're fine. Um, just think of the elements of an engineer back in the 30s and 40s you know, the challenges, I guess, you know, for them, it was normal, right? Meaning that, okay, this is what we got. We have six microphones, we have six channels, and we're I'm, And recording. I use those numbers, I don't know exactly Yeah, it numbers. could be less or more, I'm not sure. But just kind of guesstimating, you know, limitations. They would listen to it. I mean, I'm sure he would just listen to what he was getting back, and yeah. he didn't have monitors down there, he had headphones. Right, yeah. So, At some form, they would listen and just know... You know, he knew what it was supposed to sound like. That's the beauty of it. There was it no pre-cueing, but he had great microphones. Oh yeah. And 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 here's the the sad part, but sad part on two sides. He was in Spain and he was doing this, and he would come back to New York, and he would release these albums like of Carlos Montoya, the Spanish guitarist, Andres Segovia. He was the one that recorded them first. He recorded a lot of first. He loved the music from Spain, so he recorded, you know, this music was already written, yeah. but he brought it to life on his label. And uh, NBC had him once a week, Sunday evenings, Montilla Record on radio. Montilla Record Presents was great, and they would play Really, all the these music artists from Spain? That he, that he was the first music that came from Spain ever to the United States that was through my dad's hands. 80 Days Around the World with David Niven, Wow. That music he has. That's monumental, bro. Yeah, that was monumental. And he has also, he recorded a lot of Cuban stuff like um, 
you know, Mambo Number Five, a little bit of Mambo. Mm. No, but he recorded the original with Perez Prado mm. in Cuba, and uh, he recorded a lot of, you know, um, legendary songs from the '40s. He was in Cuba for a long time too. Now, when did you guys make the journey from New York to Miami? And what also got you involved into music? Because you're not so much an engineer, even though you very much well understand yeah. audio itself. I enjoy it. I just, you but know. But you're a composer. I'm a musician that understands, you know, engineering f from my father. But, uh, you know, I let other people handle that part of it because it's what they what they enjoy doing you can't yeah. do everything you know you every today there's a lot of people that want to do everything because they 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 have a laptop and you know you have to you have to delegate yeah you got to let the quarterback play the quarterback yeah, exactly you, you got to let the wide receiver you may play understand that. how it all happens but you you know right, yes. you're going to get your ass kicked if you try if you try yeah you can understand the playbook but, but get on the field and try to play that role in a, like you said, you're gonna get, get killed, your ass or, you know, who want, or who wants to be, you know, uh, who wants to be a running back? You, you could do it, but I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's not an easy, yeah, not an easy, easy position or, you know, the quarterback throws the ball, but he's also going to get his ass kicked every once in a while because somebody's going to mess up and they're going to, they're going to, you know, um, tackle him. So I kind of like, Everybody I already know what, and I know what role to play, and and I I always like to learn from everybody. Listen to that, but uh, your question yeah, was: Yeah, so how would you get started into the music element of it instead of? The well, I wanted to tell side. you one something real quick about yeah. my dad. The the this two sad parts. He was in Spain recording, and his brother was decapitated on a Sunday afternoon with my dad's assistant, and they were in a, in a convertible car, and they wound up. Underneath a semi truck, I remember the word decapitation. It was a sun, it was a Sunday afternoon, sunny, and this car got underneath a a semi truck. Unbelievable! And my dad was like, well, you know, when he got into the details of everything, he just packed. He didn't pack. He left all those vintage microphones in Spain, and he left Spain and he never he returned. Went back. And he had. I have been devastated. Imagine the the this the the Neumann mics that he left there, you know, just vintage from the fifties. Uh, he just that's too much for me. Aside from the fact that my other brother, well, my mother never my mother never left New York. My mom would always let my dad travel to New York. She wanted to stay with her children, and my father wanted my mom to come to Spain on one of the trips, and she reluctantly. Did so, I think she left me and my younger brother and my sister in New York with a man. They took my brother, Freddie, and my brother, Freddie, had a, a babysitter that night. And my dad was taking my mom to an event in, in Madrid. My mom had a bad feeling. She was sitting at the dinner and she told my dad, man, I don't know what's wrong. I don't feel good. I don't feel my dad's like, what are you doing? We just came here, brought you here. My brother had jeans on and socks, and the nanny drew hot water into the tub 
and in Spain it's 240 volts. So the water comes out not hot, it's boiling, hot. boiling hot. My brother tripped and fell into this hot tub. And to this day, he's 70 something years old. He's got skin burn marks all over his legs. Freddie does. Yes, Freddie. And you can oh, see his man. you can see the sock marks from the skin. He burned 75% of his body. Secondary degrees, but you know, that was back in the 50s too. And so, you know, my dad had a brother die, his son fell in hot water. And I think that that was it. So my dad left Spain and left all that equipment there, just didn't care. And it was vintage, vintage stuff. Some of it was, some of it was already in the States. So how did I wind up? Well, then we moved from New York. I was seven years old. And the government of Puerto Rico offered a 10-year tax exemption if you opened up a, a plant down there. So he opened up a plant, a record plant. And he had a studio there with a piano, and that's where I put my hands on a first piano, and I really got into it. And that's a lie, because when I was like eight, we lived on a street right next to the beach, and there was a guy from the public housing. who he used to climb coconut trees and make hats from the palms of a coconut tree, <laughs> and he had a Schwinn bicycle with every adornment you could ever imagine. And he was a karate expert. And he would be on the beach doing karate, climbing trees, making hats. And I started hanging out that, with that guy because I spoke English. I was a cute little eight-year-old kid. The tourists found me to be the most cutest thing, and they would buy hats from him. And he came to my house, and he brought me a General Electric little organ that ran with a fan, and it had buttons that played the major chords and the minor chords and it had like an octave and a half little keyboard so i would match c chord with 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 the with the notes that would match that sound my ears were just like and then i started playing the piano and then they took me to piano so my dad moved to puerto rico for this tax exemption he opened up a plant there and it all happened simultaneously and i just discovered music that way and I was always listening to music because he had A&M, Motown label A&M. He did a lot of, you know, he pressed records for Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands for all, for all these labels. So you were getting to hear the music oh, I was right hearing, off I was, I was hearing everything. The Carpenters, before the Carpenters even came out, we were hearing all the Herb Alpert A&M and Motown and uh, ABC Longines and RCA. My dad distributed and pressed. He got the master... The masters Master, from all these yeah. labels, and, they, and then he would press down there. Carol King. Uh, but I was exciting. listening to all kinds of music because it was Joe Cocker, Carol King, Super Tramp, this, you know, groups that I never heard of. And I was in Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico doesn't listen to that music. Yeah. Puerto Rico's all Spanish, Latin music. You know, my dad was doing that too. So I was like, exposed to this incredible library of just... What the hell is this? Oh, my God, what about this? And this is so cool. What? So I would sit in my room and I would listen to music because my dad brought samples back to the house. And then in the summer, I would summertime, I'd go to the plant and work there. And I'd run around, do some, some of the, make some records and go play piano. And then he gave me a session. He, he let me and my friends, three of my friends, 
Never forget him. Tom Ride. He was from Illinois. They lived in Puerto Rico. Illinois. Give it up for Illinois. There you go. Yes. Tom Ride, Judy Ride, and they, and they played piano. They were an American family, and they lived in my little neighborhood. So I would go over there and play with Tom Ride, and, you know, he was American and blue-eyed little kid. And I, I, actually, recently, we got on Facebook, and we spoke to each other after years. <laughs> so that song by Petulia Clark... Was it downtown? Downtown, that song. And that song, we, I learned it on the piano, and so we went to the studio on a Saturday, and we played the piano. And I think we played some drums to it, and we recorded that song. That was my first recording. How cool Playing piano with that, with my little friends. But that opened up... A whole world whole for world me. world of opportunities. And then they had a, uh, um, something, William Ro or some Ro Rogers was this music school. And, uh, forgot the name of, uh, forgot the name this of. school in Puerto Rico? It was, a, it was, it was a, uh, William Rogers. It was like, he was a pianist, but. He developed some system. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a screen with three no, three buttons. Gotcha. And they would show you the notes, and you had to like, like a little monkey pick, pick the pick, pick what yeah. button. And I was like, I don't run into it because I was already playing. Mm -hmm. I was already playing by ear, you know. I was like, I was already jamming. Yeah. So then they brought me in. Oh, my grandmother bought me a Hammond organ, a C seven. Whoa. For my thirteenth birthday, and they delivered it. And now I had pedals, and I'm kicking bass. So they decided to give me some, you know, some lessons, and they brought me a 90, 80, 89-year-old woman that had an organ that she pumped air through it, and she was into solfege. And I was like, I told my parents, no, bro. <laughs> Not you got to get me a teacher that at least can walk up the stairs. I was hard. I was hard. I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and they got me a piano teacher. So if the piano, if the if the Red Book song was dun, 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 Dun 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 da. I would be dun da 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 there's two sides to that one because I could have... Well, it depends, right? If you I want should, to be a professional, there's performers, like Broadway performers, classical performers, where that's very a musician, much if that. you want to, you know, you yeah. got to, if, you, if, you, if you're going to be in certain fields of music, you want to be a, a Broadway musician and, or you want to hold a seat with some orchestra, you know... Where you have to you have to read all that. Your mother, reading. your mother was a your, your mom is. I, I've always said your mom is one of the most, if not the most amazing sight reader I've ever seen. Thank your you. mom would sit at that piano and you could give her anything, and she would look at it once, see the mapping, and then she would play it. Sight reading is like like what when when we read a newspaper, we don't finish. We already see what the sentence is going to say because we see yeah. the words coming up. We see the, the, the world is, we don't have to read world. 
Yeah. We know its world. We just look at it. We overview it and we know what it is. That's what sight reading is. It's just the practice of of seeing the repetition of formations on the notes on the staff. And your mom had the gift of just, she knew what was coming up and, and she knew the grace notes and all the indicators. You know the, she used to take, she every weekend, every Saturday morning, we go to a music store. I was about four or five years old, six maybe. And... You know, impatient yet little boy after about 10 minutes. I'm like, all right, can we go? Can we go? And I'd always pull on her coat and I'd look up to her and she was always holding music. And I'm like, mom, but there's no piano. How can you possibly? She's like, I'm playing. Leave me alone. And we would be there literally for two, three hours. And that allowed me to venture off in a music store and start to, what's this? What's this? Well, she was, at the time, I didn't know what she was doing. But she was playing the music. She was, a, she was like, she was it like an alien. Unreal. Honestly, she was an alien. Yeah, I love her to death. Rest her soul, mom. But moving forward on all the exciting things. So now today, you just had a birthday. We won't release the age. I know you just turned 40. Terrible number. <laughs> but can you share a little bit about your experiences? Um and what brought you, uh, why would Latin Hub want to have you as a keynote speaker? No, well, you know, after I started playing like that, I went into the, into the, in, yeah, didn't you go to, I did many years in, a, in playing in, in show bands because now my, uh, you know, in my, in, 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 I did high school. I was always playing piano. Actually, I did elementary school in Puerto Rico and I was, I was always the winner of the the uh, dramatic arts. Mm -hmm. They had these competitions that were, uh, you know, we'd have to learn four minute, a four minute, a scene of something, and we would compete against all the little elementary schools. And I was always winning the. I loved the dramatic arts. I loved acting. I loved that. That was, and it's still, it's still. I'm acting right now. Yeah, you, you're you're going to be in a film coming soon. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be in a. There's a couple of things that are out there, but. I love acting. That's one of my hobbies, but it's I take it seriously. Oh, he does too. Yeah, take no, no. him out for his birthday and uh, at a restaurant. Oh, that's a yeah. Long we'll time talk ago. about that a long time ago, about but, twelve uh, years ago. <laughs> anyway, I love it. I, I do it every day. I do it every day. I keep a straight face and I say things to uh, you know workers at a restaurant or whatever, and then then it's all it's all part of the fun of the sh of you know I'll say something wacky and they'll be like and they. I, I just love to, to push people's buttons and make them laugh. It's the laughter that I get, I enjoy. But, um, show bands. Yeah. I, uh, so I started, I was playing all the time. And then I went, I graduated from a private bo boarding school in Pennsylvania called Westdown School that was a run by the Society of Friends, the Quakers. And that was a wonderful experience. I had been in a Catholic Jesuit priest high school in Puerto Rico one year, and it was black pants, white shirt, and I was just running with the wrong kids, you know, rich kids that were just, um, you know, very snooty. No, they were they were they were terror. They were they were the the first terrorists ever on the planet. <laughs> these kids would run around and just, you know, their parents had money and they would cut class and 
you know, and do kind of all kinds of shit. And I started getting in with them, and my dad was like, no, no, no. Mm, ain't happening. So he sent me to, to Washington, D.C., where my sister was at the office of the government of Puerto Rico. And I went to scouting for schools, and I found one school called Westtown School in Westtown, Pennsylvania, outside of Westchester, co-ed, um, beautiful ground, 600 acres, lake, uh, co-ed. I got to emphasize that. Yeah, I was going to say, really emphasize the co-ed That co was super aspect. cool, bro. Everybody's in flannel shirts. Going from a Catholic all-boys school, was and, and it? To Catholic all-boys schools in Puerto Rico, bro. We were beach kids. We were beach kids, and we were also running around, you know, with the hood. The, the, yeah. the, ho the housing communities were near us. So we were running around with all kinds of crazy shit going Those worlds on. easily intertwined. Complete. Proximity. Those two worlds do not come together until when I got to Pennsylvania, though. There's four seasons, you know. Puerto Rico's one season. Yeah. And uh, so that's what happened. Me and my younger brother went there. And then after I graduated high school, I got to Georgetown University. I was accepted at Georgetown. And I went to Georgetown, and I was like, I think I was studying business administration. And I, I was like, oh, my God. All of my, all of, all the things that I loved were now, I, stay, I, I lived in an art dorm there that had a piano in the basement, but... We were all, you know, you went to Georgetown for, uh, you know, forensic, uh, what do you call it, foreign service, um, diplomacy, uh, business. Georgetown was an Ivy League school that didn't have, uh, it wasn't like It wasn't Yale. an art school. Yale could have been a great drama school for me. I should have done that, but I didn't, I didn't even know. You have to apply to Yale when you're in your third year, at least back then. You got to apply to college for Yale in your third year okay. of high school, and you got to be who has their shit together in the third year of high school. And that's what Yale wants. Yeah, well, that's where uh, Henry Winkler went to drama school. Yale has a great drama. Really, school. the Foz went there. Yes, Yale's got a very, very, very not notable drama school. So I was like, I was in, doing theater work at this at this high school, and I was playing piano, and I was doing. I would, they had a piano in, 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 the, in the south room, which was the midpoint between the girl and boys. And after dinner, we'd all meet up there. Girls loved it. And I was like, hey, man, I'm, I got girls loving me, and I'm playing the piano. And I, was, I would play Carol King, and I'd play Elton John stuff, and everybody, they loved it. And I was like, okay, this is cool as shit. And then I went to Georgetown to please my dad. Because in Puerto Rico back then, where's your son going to school? And you say Georgetown, then you're the shit. Right. Yeah. I think my parents were trying to like, they were trying to they they made me do that so they could like look good. It look was like good. <laughs> it was like their Instagram at the time. Yeah, their Instagram totally. Yeah. in the drawer, where's your kid go? Georgetown. There you go. Your Instagram followers immediately. <laughs> so I went to Georgetown and I was like, this shit sucks, bro. I'm not like I was on the baseball team. Oh, were you really? I was a pitcher in high school. And they put me on the varsity baseball team. Varsity? Yes, I was in the varsity baseball team freshman year as a pitcher. And all the baseball players there told me, don't tell the coach you're a freshman or else he's not going to play you. And I was playing. I pitched against John Hopkins. Oh, no shit. In, high, in college. I was college playing. My first game was college baseball pitcher. And the fucking the coach was like an older man, mm -hmm. and he and he never he didn't ask me nothing. He saw me pitching and he liked it, and I, and I played. I played a couple games until he asked me. That's cool. And I couldn't. 
lie to him. He said, what are you, a freshman or sophomore? Because he saw potential. I know he did. Mm -hmm. I was killing it. And I said, freshman, that was it. No more than that, huh? And I was, running up, <laughs> I was running up and down the Exorcist movie stairs. Oh, Those staircases, yeah. remember that, where the house was? I lived right across the street. And that's what pitchers, that was part of our, the pitchers had to run, bro. They made us leg training. And those steps sucked. Burn. I would have Leg rather burn. been. I would have rather been the priest that was thrown out the window and just because I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't have to run up and down those stairs. <laughs> it was done. a one way down. There you are. But I saw that you know that's that that kind of like ended my career. And so, I told my dad, "Let me take a break." So I, I came back home Christmas after my first semester. I had done poorly because I didn't. I, I mean, I was taking Fortran, which was the first, they were cards that were perforated in the computer. It was a computer yeah. that read those. It was the first beginning of computers and and the accounting classes. And I was like, oh my God, I hated it. And I wanted to do music. So I came back, instead of going to San Juan, I came to Fort Lauderdale, where my brother, my brother was playing. He had his show band, The Standing Ovation. And they were they would tour all you know hotels three four weeks at a time. They would stay in the hotel and they would play in the lounge of the hotel. No cell phones, NBC, CBS, ABC on TV. That would end at eleven o'clock at night. Then Elvira playing movies in the middle of the night. And there was no HBO, no cable, so people had to go out and listen to you know. You had to do something. Yeah, people wanted to go out to if you wanted to hear if you want to get entertained you had to go out. Yeah, and that's why there was records because there was no. You got to buy a record, and you read the read the uh, the back cover of the record and see what studio they had. Are. All the credits, the studios, and that's where people got entertainment. And then you wanted to go out, you wanted to watch a movie, you had to go to the movie theater. But then you want to go and have a drink, you yeah. go to a club, and there's the band playing. So I did that, and that was the beginning. Yeah.